The Lord is our refuge and our fortress. When we call, the Lord answers. join in professing our faith as we speak of those things we believe using the Apostles' Creed, which can be found at 881 in your hymnals. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. 
Let us pray together our collect, which you will find printed in your order of worship. Almighty God, the light of the faithful, and the joy of the righteous, mercifully receive the prayers of all who call upon you, that the souls which thirst for your promises may be filled with your blessings through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. We know prayers to your Son taught us. Our Father, Friends, once again, it's a joy to welcome you today to Central. Those of you worshiping in person this morning, at the end of your pew, you will find uh, our friendship pad. I would ask if you would take that and fill in the information so that we might have a record that you are with us today. And if you are visiting with us today, we are especially glad that you are here. You can indicate on that pad if you would like to be in touch with uh, one of the clergy here at Central. Um, you're invited to all the activities of Central. Everyone is. And if you would like to know more information about how to connect with God through our church or if you would like to learn what it might look like to become a member of Central, we would love to talk to you about that. So please be in touch with one of us clergy uh, this week. If you, if We'd be happy to set a meeting with you. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Habakkuk. The first chapter, the first four verses, and also the first four verses of the second chapter. Hear now the word of God. The oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore judgment comes forth perverted. I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. When the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that a runner may read it. For there is still a version, a vision, for the appointed time. It speaks of the end, and it does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it, and it will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirits are not right in them. But the righteous live by their faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Our epistle reading is from Paul's second letter to Timothy, the first chapter, beginning in the first verse. Hear now the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, recalling your tears. I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and for this reason I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. For I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day, but I have entrusted to him. The word of the Lord. Our act of praise this morning is from the 65th Psalm and can be found in your hymnals at number 789. I invite you to stand as you're able. God in Zion. To you who hear prayer, all flesh shall come because of their sins. Blessed are those whom you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. By dread deeds you answer us with deliverance, O God of our salvation. Who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at earth's farthest bounds are afraid at your signs. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty, the 
The pastures of the wilderness drip. The hills gird themselves with joy. Please be seated. I invite any children who are with us this morning to meet me down front for our children's time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Put it in the plate. Awesome. Thank you. Well, good morning, friends. How are y'all doing today? Good. Do y'all notice anything different up here today? The organ console is pulled out, isn't it? Well, you can see it. Can you look at all those buttons and keys and pedals? You know, I can't chew gum and walk at the same time. I can't imagine playing one of those things. Well, I pointed that out because I want you to think about that for a second. I want to share... Uh, something from the Bible with you. This is from the 150th Psalm. And it's talking about God. And it says, Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with clanging cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Do you know what the Bible is saying there? It's saying that whatever we have to praise God with, we can use to praise God with. We have have our organ, but we can praise God with our voices when we sing or when we pray. We can praise God by the things we do when we're kind to other people. It even says, clap your hands. Imagine praising God just by clapping your hands. There's all kinds of things we can do to praise God. So what I want you, I'm going to give you some homework this week. I want you to look around and see if you can find ways to praise God that you might not have thought about before. Will you do that for me? All right, let's pray together. And I'll just pray. You don't have to pray after me. Dear Lord, help us. Dear Lord, help us find ways to praise you. Amen. Y'all can go with Miss Jenny if you want to go to Children's Church.
Please be seated. Our gospel reading this morning is from the gospel according to Luke, the 18th chapter, verses 9 through 14. Hear now the word of God. The he being referred to here is Jesus. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we are continuing in this series of sermons we've been in uh, throughout uh, the fall, and we'll be in through the fall, called What Followers of Jesus Do. And today we take up the idea that followers of Jesus don't judge. This series is, is designed around Central's mission statement, which is we follow Jesus by loving God and loving our neighbor. Well, if we are to be followers of Jesus who love God, who love the neighbor, what are some concrete things we make that real in our lives? And today we take up this idea of being judgmental. Followers of Jesus don't judge. I wonder, have any of you ever been unfairly judged? Or have you ever had someone assume things about you that... Uh, without knowing you. I've most often experienced this phenomenon in two ways. First is related to the way I speak. There's no mistaking what part of these United States I'm from when I open my mouth. Back during the summer, Ellen and I were blessed to take a vacation to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. and We did all the fun outdoor things you do around uh, Jackson Hole and one afternoon, we, we went kayaking on this beautiful glacial lake. And as we're putting our kayaks in, there was a family there who'd rented what must have been three dozen kayaks. I've never, it looked like a, a circus troop was there getting ready to go paddling or something. But the, 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 the patriarch of the group, the man who seemed to sort of be heading things up as we were at the little ramp, and he and I struck up a conversation and, um, you know, it's one of the first things you ask somebody when you, when you find out and you start talking to them. He says, well, where are, y'all, where are you from? And I said, well, I'm, I'm from South Carolina. He goes, I'm going to ask you a question. And I don't mean to offend you, but I just have to know. Do you really talk like that? was kind of taken aback, and, and I said to him, whatever I, I say 
to anybody when they talk about my accent, I say, well, you're going to be surprised when you get to heaven and everybody sounds like me. When you, when you go through eternity, this is how God blesses you, to, to give you an accent that sounds like mine. And he kind of laughed at that and, and went on, but maybe you've had that experience. But I'm struck when I, when I joke about that, that, that um, people oftentimes, you know, if, if you watch a movie or TV show, anytime Hollywood wants to make someone sound unintelligent, whether there's a characters from the South or not, they make him sound like I sound. Well, maybe another way I've experienced this is when people find out my profession. If you strike up a conversation with a person in a public place, and they say some, sometimes a conversation will be like, well, what do you do for a living? And I say, well, I'm a United Methodist minister. You'd be surprised the reactions you get from people. If they've got a drink in front of them, oftentimes they'll push it away. <laughs> Even if it's a Coca-Cola. Sometimes you know, they'll sit up a little straighter. Sometimes they'll say things like, you know, a minute ago when I said such and so, I don't usually talk that way. And I'm just kind of like, listen, it's okay. I'm just a human being. But we make assumptions about people, don't we? When we don't know them, when we know nothing about them, we make assumptions about people, judgments, if you will. Maybe you want to, I was thinking about this idea and I was reminded of a wonderful ministry in Los Angeles called Homeboy Industries. Now, when I explain the, the, the ministry, you'll understand why it's called that. But Homeboy, Homeboy Industries began in 1986 when a Catholic priest, Father Gregory Boyle, became pastor of Dolores Mission Church. It was the poorest Catholic parish in all of Los Angeles. The parish area included Aliso Village and Pico Gardens, which at the time were the largest public housing projects west of the Mississippi River. Those neighborhoods had the highest concentration of gang activity. And to say that this was a troubled neighborhood would be an understatement. In Los Angeles, which is a hotbed of gang violence and gang activity, this was among the worst neighborhoods in one of the worst cities for gang violence at the time. The way most people would deal with such gang violence and activity is what we might expect. You try to get the bad guys off the street. But Father Boyle saw at the, at the beginning of this ministry, especially young men who wanted to change how people saw them. They wanted to get out of this life. But one of the things that accompanies gang life is tattoos. Tattoos on the face. Tattoos on, on the neck in places that you can't just cover up with a shirt. And so he began a ministry where he helped people who were trying to leave gang life. He hired a, a dermatologist and started a clinic to remove their tattoos so that when people looked at them, they weren't frightened. So when they went for job interviews... People weren't afraid to let them in their business. That was the beginning, but it, it, it's expanded now to serve thousands of people in some of Los Angeles' poorest neighborhoods. 
where it includes drug rehabilitation and helping people re-enter society after leaving prison. Thousands and thousands of people are helped each year. But I'm struck that it started with tattoo removal. Literally, when you looked at someone, you, people would understandably make an assumption about the person with, ta- with teardrops tattooed under their eyes or with the word death tattooed across their forehead. You would make judgments about people. If we go back to the scripture that I just read, I think it's important to notice that in verse 9, we're told who Jesus addresses this parable to. To those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. That's saying a mouthful. This parable is addressed to those, to people who thought they were so righteous and looked down on others. To illustrate that point, Jesus uses the example of a Pharisee and a tax collector. Consider who the Pharisee would be. Pharisees at the time were uh, the, the part of Jewish faith, almost as a denomination that Jesus and his disciples would have been part of. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders, strive to live lives of holiness and to urge others to live lives of holiness. And the way they urged you to live a life of holiness, to live a life that was righteous before God, was by doing certain things and refraining from other things. So the Pharisees had a noble purpose. But sometimes, and it seems very often, Jesus gives the Pharisees such a hard time because they became legalistic in their rule following and used it as a way to look down on others. If we look at what the Pharisee did when he prays to God, he's praying this self-righteous prayer, but he lifts up the things he did. He tithed his income, he prayed, he fasted. The things that the Pharisee were doing were good. They were things that we would benefit from doing in our own lives. But his attitude about them, the way he saw those things in his life was a problem because he didn't go about them as humble service to God. He went about those things and saying, look how great I am. I am so good. And to prove how good I am, look at that guy. In his prayer. He pointed out the man worshiping near him in the temple, a tax collector. Consider the role of a tax collector in that society. First of all, in a country that was under Roman occupation, they were Roman authorities. So he would have been probably, he he was in the temple, so he was a Jewish man who made his living, and tax collectors often became rich by being dishonest in the taxes they collected. They, in this case, definitely collaborated with the occupying Romans. And they were looked down on by most. They were rejected by polite society. Anybody, even if they weren't this self-righteous Pharisee, would not want anything to do with a tax collector. 
But both of these men are children of God. Both of these men are in the temple. Both of these men are in the place of worship and they're praying. And we look at the two prayers. The Pharisee was doing everything right and was so proud of himself. And the tax collector, who was living a life that was not holy, asked God to forgive his sin and was convicted of his sin. And then we come to verse 14, which tells us all who, Jesus says, all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, I think there's a difference between judgment and being judgmental. Sound judgment in the sense of discernment keeps us safe. Judgment tells me not to drink lumpy milk or to swim in a pond where there's a sign warning me of an alligator. My judgment lets me know when, to, that, when not to put myself in dangerous situations regarding other people even. My judgment tells me not to pick up hitchhikers. Not that I'm being looking down on the person on the side of the road, but it's not worth putting myself at risk or risking my family. We're called to have judgment. We are called to be discerning. We're called to tell right from wrong, good from bad, but we're not called to look down on other people as less than ourselves. Another way to say this is we it's okay and we are supposed even to make judgments, but we can do that without being judgmental. Judgment as discernment is important. As I say, what the Pharisee was doing was good. He was doing all the right things. He was doing everything he was supposed to do. But his spirit was so bad. The way he looked at those things he was doing and the attitude he had about himself. Judgmentalism is looking down on another person as less than yourself, like the Pharisee does here to the tax collector. Consider that both men are Jewish. Both men are in the Jewish temple. Both men are children of God. The Pharisee's sin was not seeing the tax collector as God's child. We are called to try to see people as God sees people. With discernment, yes, but with love and with empathy as children of God. Maybe wayward children of God, but children of God nonetheless. And so when we encounter that other person, we might find something to kind of look down our noses at. We might find some way to separate ourselves from this other person. But we're not called to think that this other person is less important than us, that's not as good as us. And I think this is a moment for all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, to ask, who do we look down on? Is it the person that has different political opinions than us? Is it the person that looks different than us? Is it the person who cheers for the wrong football team? What is it? What is it that makes us look at another person and fail to see not only their personhood, but their identity as God's daughter 
or God's Son. And if we can see other people as children of God, and that means we're all children of God, that makes us brothers and sisters. And brothers and sisters might be able to judge in a sense of discernment what the other is doing. But we are not judgmental. Followers of Jesus don't judge. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we lift to your mercy today those who stand in need of your healing touch. God, for your children that need healing in body and mind or in spirit, we ask that you bring healing. Lord, for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones, we pray that you bring comfort. Lord, where your children experience war and violence, we pray that you bring peace. And, O oh Lord, we pray that you work by your grace within us to see one another as you see us. We pray, O oh Lord, that you give us spirits to see that we are all your children and that we are brothers and sisters of one another and that we would treat one another with empathy and Christian love. We ask this all, O oh Lord, in Christ's holy name. Amen. I invite the ushers to come as we receive this morning's offering.
Oh Lord, we humbly ask you receive these gifts we return to you now. Use them, we pray, for the building of your kingdom and the work of your church. For we ask in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to remain standing as we and receive this benediction. Friends, leave this place to be followers of Jesus who are not judgmental. And now, may the love of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you forever. Amen. Amen.